Welcome to 2022, whatever that's going to mean for you. And I wanted this retreat to be called the awakening in 2022. And I don't say that flippantly or lightly. I really think this year needs to be the year that we wake up that we find our life posture, our orienting principle. There's been so much happening, so many things in these last few years. So this really is a good year to know who you are, to know what's real, to search and become the truth. Search for and become the truth. So I hope you'll join me in making 2022 be the year that you wake up. Let's let's all do it together. Let's all be part of being more free. And this isn't 2022 a year, it's it's today. And then it's tomorrow. And then it's for for the rest of your life. This waking up. And why do I feel that 2022 is important? I think this momentum of a couple years now of suffering, and as you probably know in the Buddhist path, you know, suffering is an impetus. It's like a fire to really get you to see what's true. So that momentum of that suffering and that difficulty, if you're not drowning in it, I hope you're not that can really be an impetus to move your practice along. Because we have those psychic irritants of things that are happening out of our control, you know, COVID, climate change. These can be teaching tools for us on the path to awakening. In the popular movie, uh, you might have seen it already, it's called Don't Look Up. And Leo DiCaprio, DiCaprio talks at the end and he, he says, we really did have it all. We really do have it all right here, right now. Discomfort, this ability to practice. So don't waste it. Don't waste it. Use it wisely. And, you know, COVID has really made it clear that we're in a new era and climate changes put us in a new era, as that movie suggests, where we really need to be spiritual warriors. And there's a lot of traditions, um, the Bushido uh, in in Japan and um, also Native Americans had this warrior tradition. And it's becoming a spiritual warrior, this willing to learn from the pain. The willing to be somebody who wakes up, who sacrifices your life for the truth. So that's the call of 2022 and beyond is to to bring on that spiritual warrior qualities. To take on the changes of the times as your teaching tool and your ability to wake up. So Paul, go ahead and put up the slide of the dog soldier. So this is um, what's called a dog soldier in the Native American tradition, a very fierce warrior. They put their stake down in battle and they stand by it until death. Amazing warrior. And then there's a woman. I wanted to show a slide of a woman as well, because sometimes we think of the warriors as men. So here's the Bishido woman. And, you know, the sword is really the sword of truth. I like that she's wearing the Nikes, (laughs) modern day warrior. And then lastly, we've got Kuan Yin, 
in Buddhism, we have this wonderful goddess, Kuan Yin, who's compassion, but here she is riding a lion with a sword. So we can be these spiritual warriors. Thanks, Paul, you can take those down. So a spiritual warrior has a clear heart. They are consistent. They are persistent until the end and they know their orienting principle and they know who they are. So may that be what you cultivate during these times. A persistence for the truth. And really 2022, I say now, but now is always the time to practice, right? We forget. Tibetan teacher Guntang Rinpoche quotes this about humanity and most people. He says that people do this. I spent 20 years not wanting to practice Dharma. I spent the next 20 years thinking that I could practice later on. I spent another 20 years in other activities and regretting the fact that I hadn't engaged in Dharma practice. This is the story of my human life. So there you have it, you know, 20 years, uh, you know, wanting to do it, not doing it, maybe later. Oh, my God, I missed my opportunity. So start now. Don't be most people. Start now. And, you know, what are we committing to? What is this practice we're going to take on for 2022? In a time of confusion... Practice knowing what's real. In a time of untruth, practice speaking and knowing what's true. In a time of fear, practice calm and connection. In a time of suffering, practice knowing what is the root cause of suffering. What is the root cause? And, you know, when I say waking up, what are we waking up to? Well, we're waking up out of the trance of mind. We're waking up out of addiction to thinking. We're waking up to what's not a thought or our mind's interpretation of things, which is big. Most people are lost in that. And we're waking up to our infinite nature, and what's true. Most importantly, we're waking up to what's real. What is real? It's a really important question during these times, as you've noticed, like, what is real? Especially as we get more into the virtual, virtual dating, virtual, you know, meetings, virtual this, virtual that avatars. We don't even know who's who anymore. So with the virtual, we're going to crave more of what's real. So you're going to see people needing to turn come into meditation more because meditation shows you what's real inside. Nature, going out into nature shows us what's real. Nature doesn't have any thoughts or concepts. Nature's interconnected, and we can see what's real. And in some cases, you've seen this in the, a lot of younger people. They're going to psychedelics to show them what's real. Because this life doesn't make a lot of sense. And if they deep dive into some kind of plant medicine, it can show them what's real. So the main object of our trance and not knowing what's real is our own minds. So Paul, go ahead and put up the slide. In the Dhammapada, which is a collection of the Buddhist teachings, they have this saying at the very beginning of the Dhammapada. Everything is based on mind led by mind, fashioned by mind. 
This is the very first verse of the Dhammapada. So it's important, it's really important that we're seeing everything's based on mind, led by mind, fashioned by mind. So the Buddha is really pointing to find a way beyond mind. And you can take that down. In the more scholarly traditions that look at this Dhammapada, this collection of Buddha's sayings, they really look um, and see that the Buddha talked about two different kinds of mind. He differentiated between two. The first, Paul, you can put up the slide, is called Paduta. And Paduta is the Pali word for a mind that's clouded, tinged, tarnished, contaminated. <clears throat> it's our normal state of mind. And the second kind of mind is called Pasana. Paul, you can put that up. Yeah, great. And that's bright mind, clear mind, essence. And actually, pasana is the word vipassana. Vipassana comes from that. Uh, this bright mind, we're trying to see clearly into the VVI of vipassana, the three characteristics of suffering, no self, and impermanence. So it's this bright mind that can see the truth and see clearly in our Buddhist practice of Vipassana. So it's important that we're going from this mind, this, you can take the slide down, the what I think mind. Everything's fashioned by the mind, the paduta mind, that we see we're seeing a virtual reality of our own minds. It's basically what I think, what I think about my work, what I think about my partner, what I think about my life, what I think about the Dharma practice, mind on mind on mind on mind, what I think. This is this cloudy mind of everything's fashioned by the mind. And actually, you know, science in the last number of years has shown that we don't really see what's real. We see what, you know, we see these colors and pixels, and then we make a whole story up about what's real, and everybody sees something slightly different because we're all projecting our own mind on everything that we see. We're projecting the insides of our own head on everything to some degree. And even in the Talmud, uh, thousands of years ago, the ancient text said, we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. We don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. So how do we move from this paduta or tainted mind to the pasana or clear mind? The first thing is if you're in some kind of pain to really address the pain, emotional, physical, spiritual. And a lot of us have been in some kind of pain in these last few years. I mean, we've really been in a trauma state, the whole world. So it's important to address, you know, that that has been true, that there's been a lot of pain recently. And one thing they know about trauma is um, that it affects your Broca's area of the brain, which is in the frontal area. The Broca's brain is actually responsible for reasoning and language. And so one thing they know about with trauma is that our reasoning, the Broca's brain area shuts down. So we get a decrease in our reasoning. So if you're finding it's harder to reason or people you love don't have the same kind of reasoning capacity, that's why, because our Broca's area starts to shut down. 
And our hippocampus also starts to be affected. And that could create what's kind of a tunnel vision. So during traumatic times, people can get very self-focused and almost like they're a horse wearing blinders. So you get this combination of tunnel vision, the reasoning shutting down, and just bringing mindfulness and awareness to that for yourself and for others. So when you start to see that, you can just, it can just be the way it is. Oh, yeah, people are getting more myopic and it's a it's a function of the brain on trauma. And just that knowing can really help with the pain body and the difficulties. But important piece with pain is not to make it your narrative. Pain can become our narrative. And that's not to say to feel it, but then we we get this narrative and we loop and loop and loop with the pain. We're either going to the past with regret and resentment, looping, or we're going to the future with fear, worry, anxiety, and looping. So really, if you can stay out of the pain narrative that has you loop and loop and loop, Stay out of the story as much as you can. And then we'll talk about how to get to this bright mind if you're not in the story. You know, one way to stay out of the story that's a really nice, uh, simple analogy is uh, this Zen priest, Kosho Uchiyam. He wrote a book called The Open Hand of Thought the open hand of thought. So whatever your story, your pain narrative, your thoughts, think of it almost like an open hand, what you're going through and it, you're not grasping at your story or your pain narrative and you're not pushing it away, but you're just letting it be that open hand of thought. Another way is to let yourself be the eye of the storm. So often pain narratives can really be like a thought storm, a hurricane. You know, I hate myself. Whatever I do is wrong. I'm fake. Life has gone to hell. You know, there's no way out. This is terrible. You know, whatever those thought storms are, and you notice because they pick up a lot of energy and they can really hit you whether it's self-hatred or worry. So just to know you're in a thought storm. And at any point you can drop into that place of stillness and be the eye of the storm. And you can know the edges of the storm. Storm has an outer edge and your awareness is on the outside of it as well as in it. And also realizing every storm has a beginning, a middle, and an end. As terrible as it is, every storm will end. And you'll come back to this pasana or bright mind again. So realizing this open hand of thought, this eye of the storm. These are ways to be spiritual warriors in a time of pain. And it doesn't matter how long it takes with these thought storms. You know, again, that's the persistence of the spiritual warrior, however long it takes. Now, they, they joked with the Dalai Lama one time about taking time off, and he just looked at the reporter and he said, Buddha, time off. Bodhisattva, time off. And that's not to mean you don't take breaks, but, you know, this practice of spiritual warrior is, is all the time. It's kind of eternal. And that doesn't have to be a heavy a heavy um, sentence for you. <laughs> and, you know, we do this because our ability not to be blended with mind states and to know what's real and to be fierce 
and calm no matter what. We're doing this for all beings, not just for ourselves. Most people are going to be tossed about as <coughs> the waves get bigger. You're going to have people get tossed about. And, you know, you could be the one that is the calm person in the plane going down. You can be the one who knows how to work with your mind. And what one caveat to remember, and this is a very important one, is that you're never going to get your psychology to be perfect. And I say that as a therapist for many years, you, you just won't, and being in therapy myself and working with people in therapy, you just won't ever get your psychology to be perfect. You'll never get to solve all your conditioning, all your traumas, all your emotions. You just won't solve it all. This is the human realm. This is samsara. There's always going to be some kind of issue that comes up in the body and mind from the past, in the present. But you can be like a monk walking through a battlefield. You can just walk through all the things that happen with that calm presence, no matter what happens. You can find out who the real you is, despite all the ups and downs of our psychology. Who's the real you? You're not going to find the real you when they're all solved. That, that's not the point. You won't solve all your conditioning and you don't need to. You don't need to solve your conditioning. What you can do is you can find this pasana, this bright mind, this essence. And that's not a spiritual bypass. It's a more dropping into this deeper wisdom that's here. Like dropping below the big waves on a deep diver is just going down and down into your true nature more and more. Deepama, who is an Indian woman, saint and very enlightened mother and grandmother, she told um, one of her students who told me this, she, Deepak Chodhbury was her student. He, he told me, Sometimes when someone would come to Deepama with their troubles, she would laugh and laugh. She couldn't stop laughing. Finally, she would say, this problem you are facing is no problem at all. It's because you think this is mine. It's because you think there is something for me to solve. Don't think in this way and there will be no trouble. So easier said than done, but it just point to this open hand of thought again, not grasping on the difficulties, making them me or mine. And really what we're doing is on the deepest level, we're breaking our addiction to thinking. We're breaking our living through the matrix of our own mind. Not an easy thing to do to move from addiction to mind view the mind view, to the essence view. And simply put, it's really going from the knowing to the now. And Paul, go ahead and put up that slide. So it's going from knowing to now. But as you see, now is part of knowing and it's really going from thinking to being. Thinking to being. Thanks, Paul. And Many years ago, I had a Dharma friend um, who's actually still alive now, but she shared with me this, this, this understanding going from thinking about practice to really being it. 
She said, since my diagnosis of bone cancer, every moment counts and I'm more alive and aware than I've ever been. Most of my life, I'd been trying to practice mindfulness on my way to the car, etc. But now, when I walk to my car, the joy and appreciation of still being able to walk overtakes me. The present moment is the only place I can be now. Otherwise, I reflect on my disease, the painful death it holds, and the sadness of losing my children. The present is the only safe place to be here with this one breath, this one step. So now for her became a verb, it wasn't a practice, now became a verb. And it can for you too, the knowing can become the now as a verb. So how else do we break the addiction to thinking? First is to just realize that there's only thinking because you believe there's a thinker. You believe that there's somebody listening to the words coming. And the more you can just realize that the thoughts are sounds, there isn't necessarily a thinker, you imagine there's a thinker then that can really help when you just see, oh, this idea of these two minds and one talking and one listening, like, what is that? And Paul, go ahead and put up the mirror slide. So this is, you know, how it works. It's mirror on mirror on mirror. It's this whole production of that sound in your mind creates ideas, someone listening, the double images in the mirror, and then it just goes back infinitely there. And it's this whole production of self and thinker. And there's really nothing there. There's really nothing there. We're creating our own matrix. All mind objects are empty. We're creating this whole matrix. And then we become like, we take one of those images in there and we become like Don Quixote fighting the other half. You know, I don't like this thought and I shouldn't have this. And, you know, we become mind fighting mind and it's all empty. So go ahead and take the slide down. You know, if you want an example of this right in the here and now, just close your eyes. And you can, everything that when your eyes are closed, if I say pizza, you can conjure up a pizza, pink elephant, can conjure up a pink elephant. Basically, you can see, you're seeing your mind, you can see the inside of your mind. When we're sleeping, our eyes are closed and we're seeing our own thoughts. So even now, you, when your eyes close, you can see your own thoughts. When you're sleeping, you see your own thoughts. And then you open your eyes again now. And can you absolutely be sure what you're seeing isn't your own thoughts? Even now. It's important to, to play with this. What is not seeing our own thoughts? You know, this, and the, the greatest addiction in all thoughts and blending with thoughts is the I, me, and mine thought. The idea of a separate witnesser, a separate observer. 99% of our thoughts reference an I. And yet, have you ever really met an Amida? or a Paul, or a Karen, you, that you have this concept of you, but have you ever really met that you? And when this I referencing, when you really see through that, the whole house of cards crashes. And it, it's amazing to me that even this idea of awakening or being free 
we, we use and reference the I with that. We, we think that freedom's a separate thing that's going to happen to us and it's going to have this place and time. So it needs time to happen and it needs a me to happen too. And we create this whole sense of I in relationship to awakening. Ajashanti says it quite well. He says, the problem with defining awakening is that upon a hearing such descriptions, the mind creates another image, another idea of what the ultimate reality is all about. As soon as these images are created, our perception is distorted once again. In this way, it's really not possible to describe the nature of reality, except to say that it's not what we think it is. It's not what we've been taught. In truth, we are not capable of imagining what it is that we are. Our true nature is literally beyond all imagination. What we are is that which is, a, which is watching us pretending to be a separate person. What we are is that which is watching us pretending to be a separate person. Our true nature is awake every instant, continually partaking of experience every moment. So just watch if you create a you that's pretending to be a separate person, knowing you or world. And this begs a bigger question back to the beginning of what's real, what's real. So each day is like a sand mandala where the Tibetans make this elaborate sand mandala and then they blow it all away. Each day is like that. And you know, actually our life, our whole life is like that and lifetime after lifetime. And you know, they, they really have done some really great research in showing that there's more than one life. Ian Stevenson, who wrote Children Who Remember Previous Lives, has quite well documented this. So we have these lifetime after lifetime of these sand mandalas, these castles of sand that we make. And we try to be the best we can be. You try to be the best mother, the best father, the best therapist, the best meditator, the best whatever. Each lifetime we try so hard. And then at the end, it's all gone. And we start over from scratch. And then the next lifetime, we try so hard to be the best, the most this, the most that. And then gone and we start over. So it's important to know, what is that? And what survives all these births and deaths? What doesn't cease? There's a wonderful analogy from the Tibetan tradition of the uh, student Milarepa. And he really wanted to know the truth and he went to his teacher, Marpa. And Marpa didn't really want to give him the teachings and insisted that he build a castle by hand, these big stones. So Milarepa builds the castle. And then he says, okay, can I have the teachings now? And Marpa says, nope, take that whole castle down, put all those rocks back in the earth exactly where you found them. And so Milarepa did that. Then Marpa says, build another castle, then I'll give you the teaching. Milarepa does the same thing again. And then Marpa says, nope, take that whole castle down. And each castle is bigger and bigger than the next. So five times Marpa has Milarepa make a castle and then take it all back down, put all the rocks back in the earth. And on the fifth time, he's just so, his body is just full of sores and Finally, Marpa gives him the teaching, but that that was the teaching. That lifetime after lifetime, we build all this up and then we just 
put it all back into the earth. And as a result of that, Melarepa gave us his understanding from what he'd been through with all this. He said, all worldly pursuits have but one unavoidable end, which is sorrow. Acquisitions end in dispersion, buildings in destruction, meetings in separation, birth in death. Knowing this, one should from the very first renounce acquisition and heaping up and building, and one should set about realizing the truth, which is beyond birth or death. He's saying, let's realize what's real, not waste our time on what's not real. So lastly, back to this pasana or bright mind. How do we go from this addiction to mind view to resting in and living in this bright or pasana view, essence view? First of all, what I mentioned earlier during the break can be quite helpful to use the inquiry questions to know what's permanent versus what's impermanent. Mind objects are empty, but if you ask this question, what survives death? What does not cease? What doesn't get built and torn down? What survives the you? So if there's these constant lifetimes, what survives the you? And you could feel it, it's here now. It's, you know, if there's something that's permanent, you know, it's not gonna be later that you'll find it. It's, it's here now. And it's always been here and it always will be here. There's this awakeness, awareness, consciousness, and of course, not your consciousness, right? Because that won't survive. But maybe the consciousness, the awareness. And letting yourself just start to get familiar with this. We spend so much time on what's impermanent. And what's the I thought? But what's this thing that doesn't have anything to do with you that's permanent and here now? Is it emptiness? Or maybe for some of you, it's love. Lori Anderson, musician and meditator, said when her husband Lou Reed died, she said, the purpose of death is the release of love. And maybe the purpose of everything is the release of love. But just notice what this one unchanging thing is. And often it doesn't have words, it's below the words. It's the silence below everything. And you can do this anytime throughout the day. You know, your mind's, you're driving the car, you're walking, your mind's blah, 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 you know, the narrative. My teacher calls it thinkingness, the thinkingness of the day. But at any point you can drop below, like tapping into an underground stream. That's just the silence witnessing it all. And what you'll find is the thought narrative often is really troubled or it's got a lot of emotional content. And when you drop down into just below the thinkingness into just this silence of being, 
and this pure pasana or presence, it's actually really free. And I, I would say there's a happiness that goes with that freedom. It, it's free, it's happy, it's open, it's connected. It's what's real below our thinking mind. And at any time you can just invite or ask to just drop down into that. It's really fun to be able to do. It's like you go from thinking and contacting with addiction to thinking and how it relates to me to just this silent mind of just being. And it's just direct. It's kind of a direct access. And, and you're it. It's not a you doing this silence. You're it. You become it. Buddhist teacher Wei Wu Wei said, what you are looking for is in the looking. What you are looking for is in the looking. So just feeling that. And monk Tilopa, he said, let go of what is past, let go of what may come, let go of what is happening now. Don't try to figure anything out. Don't try to make anything happen. Relax right now and rest. You are this. And lastly, today in the talk is just to mention that um, this bright mind or this silence, it will just come forth. The, the truth and the essence of you will break through the illusion, not you. So what awakens is, is your essence just starts to come up like the sun. It's not a you go and find it and drag it out and fluff it up and make it be, you know, become you. It's almost like just the way the sun starts to rise in the morning and just get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's how your true nature in this pasna or this essence is. And, you know, what feels insufficient in you and that seeker in you often has driven the spiritual path. But that's not what wakes up. What's insufficient in you doesn't wake up. Your essence and this truth that starts to shine like the sun, it shines through all of that. It just peaks up more and more. And, you know, the sun shines regardless of what you think, regardless of how you feel about yourself. The sun will come up and Rise, that's the really good news about all this. It will rise in each of us, this sun of essence, no matter what we think, no matter what we feel. Why? Because that's what it does. Your essence just comes out and rises. And, you know, doing Retreats like today, doing meditation and inquiry are the conditions to give space for that to rise more. So it's not that we do nothing, but making space for this sun that's dormant in you to rise up and shine. And you'll see, you know, eventually as that rises more and more, it it just becomes everything. Ajashati again, he said, the boundless nature of awareness is a constant. There's nothing you can do to create it. And there's nothing you can do to get rid of it. This wonderful boundless nature. Or Meister Eckhart said it even more simply. He said, 
I am a movable cause. And that's you too. You're a movable cause. And more and more, that will just rise on up and through. And you can see it and feel it. So there's this rising phenomenon. Sometimes your essence will even just flip. It'll just flip on like a light in the darkness. So stay open to that can happen too. It can just flip on. I was on a retreat when I was 30 years old and um, uh, I really saw a great example of that. So it was a 20 day retreat. And um, about halfway through the retreat, they got a whole new group of retreatants came in, but some people stayed the whole time like myself. Well, halfway through the retreat, my then boyfriend at the time, he brought uh, his new girlfriend, unbeknownst to me. Um, he brought a, girl, a new girlfriend on retreat and they sat right in front of me. And of course I was in silence and it was quite hard. There were a lot of feelings that came through. And um, so I was working for about the last 10 days of the retreat, just with the anger and sadness and jealousy, and really not having much success with it, you know, trying to do meta and loving kindness and then going out in the woods and yelling and um, just trying to make my mind empty. And uh one day, one evening towards the end of the retreat, just on its own, I was just sitting in the, at the, in the evening tea and it was like this, the switch just flipped and my heart went to this rageful state from this rageful state to just complete loving kindness and peace and um, compassion and it was like this essence just flipped on. And it wasn't me because I wasn't in any kind of um, happy state, that's for sure. And it stayed, it completely stayed. Um, I, never, I never went back to the old way of mind and that pasna, it was like that light just turned on for both of them. So it's possible at any time it can flip on, no matter how lost you are. I certainly was very lost then. And this essence or pasna, it's always here. And you can strengthen it with meditation and inquiry. And it will pervade. It will pervade. It's eternal. It's always here. It's like the sun. It belongs to everyone belongs to everyone, you, yes, you. And my teacher, he likes to joke and laugh. He goes, Anita, don't worry. You will always be an infinite eternal being. And since you are eternity, you will eventually wake up. He jokes that I'm in the rotisserie school and that slow cooking chicken. <laughs> And he says, you'll eventually wake up. Eternity has all the time in the world to work on you, he says. So I think that's probably true for a lot of us. We'll eventually wake up. Eternity has all the time in the world for this light to start shining and coming up more and more. And I'd like to close with, um, I did a really short little um, video. It's uh, this, this light in your heart. It's in the Hawaiian tradition as well. This idea that we have this essence that can come out like the sun. And uh, it, it's, um, the music is done by Makana, a slack key um, guitarist in Hawaii with permission from him. And it, it just really exemplifies in yet another tradition what it means to really rest in this essence. So Paul, you can go ahead and put the video on. In the bowl of light, 
bowl of light comes from a Hawaiian teaching which believes that we are all born with a bowl of light in our hearts. And through life experiences, traumas, difficulties, we begin putting stones in that bowl of light. And eventually, we have so many stones in that bowl of light that the whole bowl is covered with stones. And you can't even see the light that you are. And the process of spiritual growth or psychological growth or even just connecting with people that we love, the things that we love, the things that we know are true. Each time we encounter something alive, each time we wake up to something, we take one of those stones out of that bowl of light. And eventually, stone by stone, we come back to just simply what we are, what we've always been from the beginning, an empty bowl of shining light, our true nature, our birthright, coming back home. So may you enjoy your bowl of light, your magnanimous you. I made this consciousness shine more and more in each one of you. It's really everything you need. You don't need to fight the mind. Just let this keep shining out more and more here now. 2022 and forever. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.